Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Medicus. My name is Aaron Dang, and I'm joined here today with Lauren Heckman. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Seashawn, a professor and chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine here at the Loyola University Chicago Medical Center. Dr. Seashawn completed his undergraduate training here at Loyola before attending medical school at the Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine, Midwestern University. As an emergency medicine physician for over 30 years, Dr. Seashawn is here to share his experience and expertise regarding the recent ACEP report on potential emergency medicine physician job shortages over the next decade, a topic that has swept the medical trainee world over the past few months since its publication. Dr. Seashawn is also here to talk about the recent match rates that came out and were published for the 2022 match. Thank you for your time, Dr. Seashawn, and welcome to the Medicus podcast. Oh, thank you very much for the invite. It's a pleasure to talk with you guys. Outside of our short introduction, would you be able to introduce yourself, your hobbies, and your medical positions to our guests? Okay. Uh, I currently serve as the professor and chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine. I also have a role as the uh, director of emergency medical services for Loyola's EMS system. Ours is the largest single hospital resource for EMS in the state. Uh, Everybody goes, well, what about Chicago Fire Department? Chicago Fire Department's divided between five different hospitals. We currently have approximately 3,000 medics of various levels that we oversee and operate under my license uh, as their medical director. In addition, I also serve as the medical director for Air Methods Helicopter Program based in Joliet, Illinois. Uh, Lifestar. Uh, I've served in that capacity since it was uh, part of Loyola back in the 1990s and for about uh, 22 years now I've been their medical director. Well thank you for your introduction and thanks for giving us a little bit more about yourself. Um, I know that we specifically spoken about your love for woodwork. Would you be able to talk a bit more about any recent projects? Uh, The projects, unfortunately, were on hold this winter because we did a big kitchen renovation at home. So the garage became my prep area for grilling. Uh, I've learned how to grill things through the winter months. Um, Everything from uh, sunny side up eggs and pancakes on the grill to uh, just uh, vegetables like many other people. But... It's always more fun and exciting when you're doing it in your Carhartts and heavy gloves and long johns in the dead of winter as compared to the heat of the summer. So it was a good time. We're done now. (laughs) Well, getting back to the ACEP report, for those listeners who may not be fully aware, the ACEP, which stands for the American College of Emergency Physicians, recently released a report that stated that the most likely outcome of the next decade is as follows. Um, With a 2% medical education growth of graduates, a 3% emergency physician attrition, and with 20% estimate of encounters seen by nurse practitioners or physician assistants, they estimate that this scenario would result in a surplus of about 7,800 emergency medicine physicians in 2030. 
thereby leading to somewhat of a job shortage and a surplus of emergency medicine physicians. So a lot of medical students might be turned away from the field because of this. Would you be able to explain some of your thoughts and what you're thinking about uh, the recent report that was released? Yeah, you know, I, I looked at that report and I could not help but consider the previous reports and the previous things I've lived through in emergency medicine. I think you pointed out that I've been in practice for about 38 years now. Um, and in that time, I, I can distinctly remember in the early 90s sitting and hearing someone say the same thing that as goes California, so will go the rest of the nation. And in California, they were able to reduce emergency department visits by 12%. Now at that time, the volume of patients nationwide that were seen in the emergency departments were about 80 million patients. I think the last count two years ago, we were at the 170 million patients. So yes, uh, they may have controlled 12% of the volume at that time, but that's not sustainable. And what we're seeing in, in many of these work reports is if things are left the same, um, what are the wild cards in, in any of these factors is, number one, people do want to be seen quickly. Uh, this is a country of hot, fast, and now. So they want to be seen. Uh, getting into their primary care physician's offices may be challenging. Uh, three, even when they do go with an emergent visit to their primary care office, many of the workups can't be done there. So they're gonna be sent to the emergency department for that work. Um, that's one thing. Two is that I anticipate post-COVID the great resignation that has hit other areas of the, of the workforce is also gonna start to reflect a little more in, in medicine. I think we are on the cusp of seeing people that have worked very hard over the course of the last two, two and a half years that have delayed gratification of family trips, of vacations, of doing the things that they really wanted to do and also because of what they saw are realizing that you know now's the best time to start doing these things. Uh, stop putting them off. I think as a result of that, you will see physician resignations and you will see people leaving the field, maybe not forever, but certainly for a period of time and reevaluating their practices, their future, the way they're approaching things. What is my proof of this? I think probably the key thing is that uh, people are reflective of everything they saw in COVID. Um, they certainly uh, carried the burden and physicians will carry the burden because of the very nature uh, of type people we are. So we got you through the pandemic. Maybe now's the time to set aside and, and kind of reevaluate where we're going in life. In regards to sending residents out into the workforce, you said that You've been practicing for 38 years. Are you still seeing a lot of interest from residents to go into emergency medicine? And have they met, been met with any challenges in finding positions or have they been able to secure spots? 
You know, during COVID, obviously, there was uh, contractions of medical staffs, contractions of physician groups, just because volume decreased in many places. So when I monitor job ads in emergency medicine, and as a chairman, I do that every day to see what's out there, what are potential possibilities, what salaries are being offered, just to stay competitive. Um, the uptick in job market in the last three, four months has, in, in a lot of ways, been similar to the job market prior to COVID. So I think in that respect, the jobs are bouncing back, volumes are coming back, the need for more emergency physicians are, is out there, and, and as a result, um, you will see jobs being offered. Um, the same time, um, where those jobs are going to be offered, I think you will see some shift as well. People worked remote uh, during COVID, and a lot of places, um, a lot of firms, a lot of industry is still allowing that in the post-COVID world. So people have moved. They've taken, bought houses in more rural areas. And like anything else, they're going to be needing, excuse me, they will be needing health care uh, in the course of their lives. So volumes in rural hospitals will increase. Um, the need for more advanced technology in rural hospitals will also increase. So I think that the uh, future-wise, there will be a more broad interest in physicians all over. Uh, but certainly look to some of the more rural areas and areas where people like to develop life and their future to be uh, available for work as well. So one of the things that the ACEP report has recommended is exploring adding fellowships in areas such as geriatrics, hospice, and palliative care. Many other specialties, internal medicine, for example, have really varied career paths after your residency program in which if you feel like being a hospitalist is not what you want to do for the rest of life, you can do a fellowship and really expand the career opportunities for those specialties. Um, what EM fellowships exist and how transformative can these fellowships be for physicians who are looking to maybe not necessarily always practice within the emergency room? Well, when you look at fellowship programs such as uh, emergency medical services fellowships, um, sports medicine fellowships, ultrasound, simulation fellowships, educational uh, fellowships, as well as toxicology, um, critical care. I'm trying to think of some of the fellowships that our residents have accepted, substance abuse uh, fellowships. They offer a very broad, broad base, a broad uh, ability for ER physicians, EM physicians, to, to practice in different areas, in different aspects, uh, utilizing their EM skills. The beauty of emergency medicine is you gotta know a little about everything. And, and that becomes a natural segue for doing administrative work, uh, quality work at the hospitals, uh, committee involvement, uh, maybe moving into uh, an MBA or law school or 
even research uh, working in pharmaceuticals. It's, it's a great broad-based education in medicine that you can take and, and do many things with. Um, so I'm confident that uh, the more we do, the more we see, the more we'll be exploring in the future. Great. And medical students and residents alike are really just worried about job prospects. I know that you've given us a little bit of your perspective. With hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, why should or should not trainees be worried about being hired into an attending position? Well, I, I think that jobs will, will be out there. And obviously, many of the higher paying jobs will be in areas that are more challenging to staff. I've always been told by mentors in the past, and, and the advice I give to uh, younger colleagues is no, no matter what, do what's going to make you happy. Because when you're happy, you'll be good at it. And when you're good at it, the rest of it will follow. Um, that was told to me many times when I was a resident as a young physician. And it's very hard when you're placing your trust and gambling with your debt in a way to choose a career path. But I've also seen the other side of that coin when physicians aren't happy um, and they're neither a good physician, uh, they're not a good caregiver, and for lack of a better term, they make their lives miserable and those around them too. I think that you brought up a really interesting point that's kind of unique to our time that there is also this great resignation. And so it's hard to know what the workforce for um, attending physicians are going to look like in the next couple of years, just because the training to become a physician takes a lot of time and investment. So um, it'll be, as just a side note, really interesting to see what jobs open up and um, and where, because I know that I'm not an economist, obviously myself, but I know that they're trying to figure out where all these people who are in the workforce are, are going, if they're just retiring early, or I know that some other specialties aren't seeing a uh, replenishment of physicians um, as quickly as they're seeing them leave the field. So it'll be interesting. I, I think when you, when you look at nationwide what's going on with the job market, we certainly are not immune to any of the changes that are occurring and the dynamics of it. Um, it brings into question the use of mid-level providers in departments. And, and I think that there certainly is a place for uh, mid-level providers in, in emergency care. It's like anything else, though. I, I went through a formal residency. I went through formal medical school training and, f and externships. That accounted for approximately eight years of my life. Um, and then practice and developing practice and understanding pathology and pathophysiology to a greater degree. That's why I'm a physician. That's why we sit for boards. Um, that shouldn't be minimized in any way. And certainly, patients coming to the department want to see a physician. That's well known. The studies are out there. 
when given the opportunity to see a PA, a nurse practitioner, or a physician, patients want to see physicians. And, and yes, there is a place for mid-level provider in medicine, but they're not a substitute for the education, the training, and the understanding of a physician. So one other aspect I think that many medical students and pre-medical students are really intimidated by is this reputation that emergency medicine specifically has for burnout. I think there's this doom and gloom representation of emergency medicine where because of the acuity of the patients, um, because of a lot of the disinformation that was spread during COVID and a lot of the demands that were put onto emergency medicine physicians both during COVID and prior, a lot of individuals and medical students are scared to approach the field due to concerns about burnout. Do you have any more comments about the lifestyle of emergency medicine physician and how programs have been trying to combat the burnout uh, pandemic, I can say? And I think that's a great term, the, the burnout pandemic. Something to consider, though, is if, you know, when I started 1985-86 in emergency medicine, uh, people were, on the average, an ER physician lasted about 15 years in the field and then moved into something else. And that, that, that was 38 years ago, and, and I'm still here. Why? I think going into a career in emergency medicine and understanding the challenges that night shift, day shift, PM shift, shift work in general, knowing that uh, nights, holidays, and weekends are a normal work day, um, just as Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, is a normal work day for most people. There's a lot of understanding and preparation for that role as you develop as a young physician that was not previously available. Um, and despite that, we still have the concerns of burnout, which suggests to me that it's deeper rooted than simply the stress of work. Um, is it the lack of control uh, because of consolidation of groups, consolidations of practices, of hospital systems, um, the corporatization of emergency medicine that leads us to have maybe a feeling of less control? Is it the fact that we're in a pandemic for the last two years that is historical in its nature that we've all been through that we can stand up and say we've all been through um, the worst pandemic in the history of mankind and we survived it? Um, those are things that, yes, they can be seen as a challenge, but that can also be a great opportunity uh, to get better understanding of what you're going into, mentally prepare yourself for what you're going into, uh, kind of liken it to that first day in medical school when you're sitting there and they're going through the curriculum for the next year and you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, I made the wrong where. You know, they, I, I don't belong here, but you do. You have, you did, and, and look at what's coming out at the other end of that year. Uh, a well-rounded individual, 
with a great knowledge base, ready for the next challenge in life. Dr. Zijan, how do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has affected medical school students' interest in EM as a specialty? Is there more or less interest in the field from your experience over the past couple of years? You know, in looking at the, the membership in the emergency medicine interest group here at, at our institution, it's still a vibrant group. It's still active. There's just as many students now um, as pre-COVID and, and the years before. So uh, to me, that's, that's a wonderful sign that there's still a desire to want to go into the field or at least explore the field of emergency medicine. So kind of tying back to the ACEP, the ACEP report, um, have you heard of any significant changes from national organizations that might help alleviate this job shortage? Well, I think that uh, it's interesting to see um, using the match um, and I think you alluded to the large number of initially unmatched positions in emergency medicine. Um, I think this year is a little bit of an aberrancy in, in some ways. Number one, um, people attended interviews by Zoom, uh, and that makes it very easy to interview people. So I think that a very similar pool of people were being interviewed by a lot of different places. Uh, that's one. Number two, um, we have an increased number of residencies, of residency spots. Um, I believe there were 88 uh, new spots in this year's match. So when you look at um, the overall number of students who matched in emergency medicine is more. Uh, it's just that that first round, there were a lot of empty spots, but by the end of the week in, in the subsequent matches, um, I believe there was only like seven or eight nationwide um, with increased number of residency spots. So there's still a large number of students who wish to pursue a career in emergency medicine. Um, and that's a good thing. So you've spoken about an expansion of residency programs. And although it's really reassuring to know that a lot of medical students are still really interested in the field and are continuing to apply and match into emergency medicine, with an increase in residency positions, and from our research, um, it was up about 100 if not more students who um, were actually matching within the field. Is this a problem going forward with an already expected number of job shortages for graduating emergency medicine physicians? I, I think that was taken into consideration with the ASEP report, the job report, um, that as certain groups, certain hospital organizations are forming residency spots in emergency medicine. Um, as we saw, um, that there may be, that there will be more physicians. But when, when you look at why these organizations formed residencies, it is to attract and to staff their hospital. If you have a mega hospital system, 
it might not be a bad idea to ensure that you have a workforce by developing residency programs and ensuring that the graduates of those have the capability of uh, taking roles within your institutions. We're probably no different as a member of our corporate entity. They're going to look for physicians in the future at their hospitals, and why not come to the academic center that's been training them uh, and affiliate with them so you have your choice of candidates for the future. That makes sense. Many of these new residency programs are termed HCA. For our listeners, could you explain the HCA residency programs and why it seems that these programs are the least desirable for students? You know, I think that the question of desirability is is kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, HCA is is a for-profit entity. And, and their desire to staff their departments to attract future physicians, um, they formed the residencies. The challenge with the formation of a residency, as I've pointed out to our candidates, is not so much getting a residency up and running. It's the concept of longevity and keeping and developing an infrastructure to support that residency regardless who's at the helm. Um, I always say that, you know, it took a long time for Loyola to get its emergency medicine residency, but by that time we developed our program and we got our first class, we had experience in teaching here at the med school over a course of 10, 15 years. We had the experiences that having different learners come through your department and rotate and still be successful in completing the rotation required different approaches at times. Those were all experiences that helped build the infrastructure for our residency program. And that's what I worry most about with not just developing a program, but having infrastructure, resources, and the longevity and the willingness of those educators to be there for the long haul. There have been some calls, whether by individuals in the community or from national organizations, to slow down the opening or increase the requirements for opening up residency programs, or even on the flip side, reducing the number of residency programs within emergency medicine to, albeit artificially, decrease the supply of EM physicians and thereby help alleviate some of these concerns about the job shortage. What are your thoughts about some of those opinions and uh, possible strategies for helping address this job shortage report? That's a a great question loaded with a whole lot of potential to step on landmines within the organizations. But um, in my heart of hearts, I believe that as programs continue on and the year in, year out, Uh, ensuring the standards that we've set in emergency medicine for education, for our residents, to prepare a resident to go out into the workforce or a fellowship, whatever they choose to do, that that will always kind of set the bar. And, And those programs that may not have the infrastructure, may not have the 
dedication of faculty, the dedication of resources will fall by the wayside uh, and, and will be quickly identified by students and residents and, and made known. There's one thing that residents are sure of, and that's to convey what's good or bad about their program. And, and they're not afraid to say it upright because it's their experience that needs to be assured. Um, so using the voice of our residents throughout the country is going to help determine which programs will last and how well they'll last. Um, and once those residents are out into the workforce, uh, feedback from colleagues around the country will determine how well you're training your program. Question to that is also, since you're on the other end and you're part of the hiring process for attending physicians, how important is the prestige of your residency program and medical school to the eventual goal of getting and landing a attending position. I think a lot of medical students are, especially with the past failed nature of step one, starting to shift a lot of their focus on prestige, uh, research, and other aspects. Um, is the prestige of your residency program really an important part of the hiring process? You know, the Depending, I, I think the answer to that question depends on what your career plans are, what your trajectory is. If if you're pursuing academia, um, that may have an aspect of that uh, involvement. If you're pursuing work in the community hospitals, which make up the vast majority, probably 90% of hospitals around the country, I think that... Uh, the concepts and the skill sets of being board certified, um, having a, a, a certificate from an accredited preschool and kindergarten that demonstrates your ability to work well with others, to work well on a team, to work well in a fishbowl of the emergency department um, is going to be the most important thing that people look for and continue to look for. Um, you want individuals that are team players, that look to be advocates for patients, but also advocates for the field of emergency medicine. Um, remember, as emergency physicians, you're there for a period of time, and you're in the department, regardless where you are, for that period of time. You don't come in, make rounds, and leave maybe like other specialties might, you're there for a period of time. And if you can't get along with the people you work with, if you're perceived as not working well with others, it's going to come out very quickly and there'll be decisions made. Well, thank you so much, Dr. C. Sean, for all of that wisdom. Um, I think that you spoke so eloquently about the report and the future, and there's a lot to that's left unknown, but at the same time, also really exciting uh, future for people interested in emergency medicine. Is there anything else that you would like to add about the report or anything else that we talked about today? No, I think we covered a, a vast uh, breadth of topics. Um, I, I think imparting anything uh, wisdom-wise to my younger colleagues and folks that are interested in maybe pursuing 
his career is the same thing I'll tell anybody that's going into medicine. Medicine is tough. Medicine is challenging. It is a, it's not a sprint. Um, it is certainly a marathon. Uh, and if you look at marathon runners, there's times they're laughing, they're cheering, they're crying, uh, they're cramping, they're vomiting, <laughs> they're enjoying themselves, they're miserable. That's, that's the field of medicine. A and I think that anybody who decides to go into medicine, uh, you know, to quote one of our old uh, medical directors here at Loyola, uh, there's three callings in life, healing, teaching, and preaching, and it is truly a calling because there are so many other ways to make more money than in medicine that you really have to love what you're doing. And if you love what you're doing, you'll be good at what you do. And if you're good at what you do, the rest will come. So the future is bright for those who wish to pursue this. It's not without sacrifice. And, and I wish anybody well who wishes to come into it because it's a special individual that likes this lifestyle. So just to close off, many of our listeners are pre-medical and medical students. What is some advice that you might have for these listeners who are interested in medicine and the emergency department? Well, certainly as best as possible, try to gain experience in what you're getting into. Um, there, and, and that's a challenge nowadays, and that's understood as a challenge because of a lot of restrictions because of COVID and who can be in the hospital setting who can't but certainly taking time to understand what the career entails it's it's the care of another person it's the ability to interact with other people um, having a sound scientific background um, understanding the key roles of biology chemistry physics all those things that uh, give you scientific, scientific methodology and then also the ability to interact with individuals. The psychosocial skills uh, become very important. I think those are the, the things that if you can get an understanding of what you're getting into, having a sound scientific knowledge base as well as the application of that in the psychosocial social setting, uh, it'll make for a much more successful applicant and a successful career. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Sichon. We're so grateful to have you here today. No, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks so much. See you guys on campus. <laughs>